You're listening to the Deep Purple Podcast, a fan podcast about one of the most legendary bands of all time, Deep Purple. We take a look at the music, history, and people behind the band Deep Purple and beyond. Welcome to the Deep Purple Podcast, the first and only podcast devoted to one of the greatest bands in rock history, Deep Purple. Today's episode is episode number 49, Roger Glover Elements. And coming to you from the earthy suburbs of Chicago, I'm your host, Nathan Beaudry. And coming to you from outside Providence, John the Lurker Matola. Oh, you are the lurker. <laughs> lurking on those lurking in those comments. Uh nickname given to me courtesy of our good friend over at Sabbath Bloody Podcast. <laughs> Rye's been listening. Calling you a lurker. He commented today too that he um mm. And that he's just his respect for JLT has only increased based on the the commercials he's been hearing. I wouldn't argue with that. No, it's fantastic. It just shows you the uh, range that he has. Like you know, we do it as a kind of a laugh, but we also have a tremendous respect for him. As you know, it's funny because it's it's not funny because of what it is. It's funny because a lot of the stuff we've never heard, and you're like, what really? Um, and just the range and the, the the different styles he can do so flawlessly is pretty impressive. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, it'd just be like if you found out that like Ronnie James Dio recorded a commercial for Midas or something like that, you know, you'd, just, like, <laughs> you'd be like, what? But then you'd be like, that's cool. And then Brian Johnson had quite a few before he was an ACDC, I think he had he did quite a few commercials. Oh, I would. <laughs> I'd love to hear those. I know I've seen them before, but the, yeah, like if you just uh, YouTube search them, you'll find them. It's pretty impressive and you hear it and you're like oh my god yeah it's obviously him i wonder i wonder what it is like well, i like, mean if if you're that good if you're at the level of a jlt or a brian johnson or whoever you know you're that's that's going to be an avenue you can take if people know you're you know you've got an agent who's looking to try to get your work and they're like oh yay you can come in and work for 15 minutes and make however many thousand dollars and just sing this you know, just belt out this these few lines. It'll take a, two or three takes, and you know you'll you'll get a nice paycheck. Oh yeah, definitely. I just think that like you know, like JLT, you hear him, and you're just on the the ads and everything, and he's like, you know, that's him. But if you didn't, you'd just be like, oh, that's some talented you know guy or whatever. But Brian Johnson, he'd just be like, you know, like. Brother King, have it your way, you know. <laughs> I don't know. You know what I mean? It's like I wonder if it, it, it he probably used like a different voice or something like that. But it just I don't think he did. If, if he was like full on Brian Johnson, I seem to remember being full on Brian Johnson. <laughs> JLT can do like the crooner thing, the jazzy thing. That I think Brian Johnson's just Brian Johnson. He's <laughs> not full. the choice of a new generation. <laughs> Special sauce, ladies, cheese. <laughs> so if you want to keep up to date on this amazing show hopefully this is not your first episode listening to this great opening but if you want to <laughs> keep up to date on the show please subscribe in apple podcasts or your preferred podcatcher you can subscribe on youtube we've had a few bands recently we'll see how this episode goes and i've taken to recording little things for youtube and releasing them if we don't have an episode i just basically uh the, on the morning of the show 
well, this morning I, I, I woke up and I saw that we didn't have our episode was banned. So I just recorded on my way to work. Me in the car being like, hey, you're probably wondering where the episode is this week. It's it's banned, but you can, you know, and I put a link in the show notes to the mm-hmm. or a link in the YouTube description to the show notes so people could get the audio feed just to kind of because sometimes I've been getting contacted from people on uh, on YouTube being like, huh, it's really interesting that you did all the Deep Purple albums except for whatever it was, Fireball or Machine Head or something got banned. And I'm like, well, no, we did that one. It just got banned and I give them the link. Now we can kind of release it right away and show people where to go. Yeah, I think it's pretty cool that you're doing that for that um, part of the part of the podcast audience. Um, just as a kind of a courtesy to let them know what's going on. Yeah, like we said, like I always say, we we, we get such a tiny percentage of our views through YouTube, but we've got a lot of really people who are religiously watch and comment. So I just want to make sure they're they're not being forgotten and we're showing them where they can get the episodes if they so desire. I'm also almost like, should we put these episodes on like some sort of like um, third party site or torrent them or something? I don't know, like to try to get them out there so people can listen. But I don't know if people are that dedicated. That would be that would be a lot. Um, mm-hmm. If you want to help support this show, you can become a patron on Patreon for as little as one dollar a month. You can also do one time donations or recurring donations on PayPal. Those links are at our website, deeppurplepodcast.com. And of course, the great way to discover the show is by leaving us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. So speaking of our patrons, we've got at the $10 Super Champion tier, Steve Seaborg of NameOnAnything.com and AllTheWorldsOfStage.net and Ryan M., at the $5 tier, we have Clay Wambacher, Greg Sealby, Frank Teelgard Mortensen, and Mike Knowles. At the $3 tier, Peter Gardot, Ian DeRosiers, Mark Roback, and Anton Glaving. And at the $1 made-up name tier, Ells Murders, Spacey Noodles, and the ghastly Leaky Mausoleum. Just Leaky Mausoleum, I had the ghastly in. <laughs> so again, if you want if you want a one-time time donate and get your name listed at the beginning of the show get a get a credit for helping produce this a specific episode just drop us a donation on paypal thanks to our brothers of the deep dive podcast network riot sabbath bloody podcast the simple man is going to reconsidered and terry at t-bone mathley at t-bones prime cuts and of course the patron saint and archivist of the deep purple podcast york planer who makes this all possible was a wonderful award-winning personality great info and super willing to just jump in and help with any sort of information you can. So kind of a lot of stuff going on this week on social media. Uh, we, uh, I'm not going to go through all of it, but we did put, po- we did post, um, I think I sent you this earlier, which is um, Rich Shaler. <laughs> That's awesome. On uh, Facebook, one of our most active, if not our most active Facebook follower. Um, posted he said he he had just gotten finished with the um would have been captain beyond sufficiently breathless episode he said just got finished with the episode not sure if this or your dramatic reading of the crucifixion from jcss was my favorite part and he said i thought this was the album you were covering and he he made this special graphic which said which is two Ice cold feet that are like blue sticking out of some covers and there's like a water bottle between them. It says the deep purple podcast, our father's feet. 
because for some reason we had an extended rant on that episode about how cold our father's feet were. Um, can't remember even even why that was that we talked about that, but some something always leads into something else. Stream of consciousness. Who even knows? Who knows? But I thought that was a great a great little graphic. <laughs> our father's feet. I looked at it first and I thought like, oh, what album? <laughs> what album is that? And then I was like, oh, it's a joke. <laughs> Still better than the Warhorse album cover. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Anything. The last picture I took on my phone was better than the Warhorse album cover. The last picture anybody took on their phone was. All right. I just, Don't yeah. get me started. This is true. But once again, we have a brand new sponsor this week. If you're looking for some entertainment, if you got some young kids around the house and maybe uh, you want to get them away from having so much screen time or something, we got a great, a great uh, little uh, thing you could buy for them, a little way to entertain their time. That's right. Fisher Price's Rescue Heroes Aquatic Rescue Command. This is a, a... I probably should have researched it. Some sort of board game or something. Um, hmm. I'm looking it up right now, actually, because I should have done this. Oh, yeah, I see the actual full commercial here. That's just the uh, the, the the jingle part. Yeah, so it's, it's a cool little cool little game here. Aquatic Rescue Command. It actually looks really cool. Maybe I'll pick this up for my kids. Oh, my God, this is a PDF. I didn't realize I was opening a PDF of it. <laughs> so it's kind of like a a battleship. I'm sorry, like uh, an aircraft carrier with some different things on it. So I guess it's not a game. I guess it's just kind of a play set. Oh, my God. Hmm. This is like the instructions of how to put it together. No, I'm definitely not buying this for my kids. <laughs> it's <laughs> You're like, it's too much work. It's 20 pages. Oh, it talks, oh, yeah, too. There's like this weird mustachioed guy that's like, mobilize the command center. Oh, there's all sorts of different characters. Jake Justice. Jack Hammer, Rocky Canyon, Billy Blazes, Wendy Waters, and Roger Houston. Is that supposed to be Houston? Did they misspell it? Roger. Don't forget Leaky Mausoleum. Leaky Mausoleum. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds like it belongs in there. I thought you were going to say Roger Glover for the last one. (laughs) Yeah, Roger Glover. That would be great. Uh, That'd be great if these are all going to be new (laughs) new donations to the show. Jake Jake Justice. Yeah, we should make up a few of those. They sound like from the made-up name tier. That's why. Justice Justice Mustaine. All right, so this week we are covering Roger Waters' elements. Now, we spent obviously Roger four... Roger Glover's elements, what? not Roger Waters. I, Roger, I was thinking Wendy Waters. <laughs> You're like Roger Waters. <laughs> we're going to do something a little different this week. Uh, Wendy, yeah, we're gonna, uh, Wendy Waters' <laughs> elements. We're covering... Uh, we're, this, is now the, this is now the Pink Floyd podcast. <laughs> All right. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. This week we're covering Danny Glover's elements. (laughs) I'm too old for this shit. (laughs) How many takes is it going to take to get? I'll edit this all out. Um, So no, Roger Glover. Now now I got Wendy Waters in my brain. I can't get it out. (laughs) Roger, uh, Roger Glover's elements. So we, we, of course, covered Roger Glover's Butterfly Ball in our epic four part series on the on the album this is 
I like to say this album is like <clears throat> the complete opposite of everything that the Butterfly Ball is. The Butterfly Ball is is you know twenty two to three minute songs. This is five six to eight minute songs. Um, it, it's you know that was very poppy and everything. This this album is a lot more um, atmospheric, a lot more. It's definitely very different. It's he's going for a completely different thing. And it came out in 1978. So it was he had written this poem and he writes about it. He says, I wrote the poem about a year before the album. The album came out about came about because I'd been wanting to do an album for a while, but kept putting it off. The only way I'd get it done was to be actually book the time and then I wouldn't have an excuse. So this is what I did. I went to Musicland with Simon and Mickey Lee, meaning Simon Phillips, and spent a week laying down tracks over which I was going to sing. With a little help from Liza Strike and Helen Chappelle, who we know from the Butterfly Ball and David Coverdale's Snake, uh, White Snake album, um, who were due to arrive a week later. What happened was I got cold feet when it came to my singing and abandoned the idea. Rather than go home and forfeit the studio time and musicians I'd already paid for, I decided to try something really off the cuff, not to mention off the wall, based on that strange poem. It was uh, exhilarating, actually, not knowing what I was going to do or not knowing what I was doing and just forcing myself to come up with something in the hour or so before the rest of them came into the studio each day. My only credo was that I really didn't want to use the electric guitar. I'd have, an, I'd have enough of it, and I reasoned that it should be possible to make dramatic music without that crutch. It's a matter of conjecture whether I succeeded or not, but if one went by record sales, then I'd have to admit that I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> only one piece of music survived from that earlier abandoned recordings, and that was used for the third section, Water. Um, there are two other musicians that I would mention. Ronnie Asprey, the sax player from Backdoor, who sometime later gave me the unforgettable quote when I asked him what he'd been up to, and he replied that he'd had enough of doing sessions and was writing more, saying, I'd rather be an architect than a bricklayer. The other one is Graham Prescott, a super bloke and musician who orchestrated my ideas with a great deal of talent and zeal, and who sang whilst playing the electric violin. I'm indebted to everyone who appeared on that album, not the least of whom was Martin Birch. They gave me a lot of support when I needed it most. So that's kind of Roger Glover's little rundown of what led up to the album. So as he already pointed out, Martin Birch is producing and engineering. And Martin Birch also plays the acoustic guitar and does backup vocals on this album, which is this will be our first time, I think, hearing a Martin Birch performance unless there was some sort of uncredited thing mm. earlier that we weren't aware of. The great Simon Phillips, who Martin Ford once called the best drummer on the planet, is playing drums, tabla, and percussion. And of course, he was the drummer on the, our White Snake album, which we love so much. And then Helen Chappelle and Liza Strike, who we've heard on, um, like I said, Butterfly Ball, White Snake, and Play Me Out are moving up to lead vocals on this on this uh, recording. Mickey Lee Soul, who was in our last, heavily <laughs> represented in our last episode, um, with a lot of rollicking honky-tonk-style piano. He's on piano, organ, and percussion on this album. And then Ronnie Asprey, of course, on saxophone and flute. And Roger, uh, sorry, Graham Pe Prescott on the electric violin, clarinet, and uh, doing some singing. And then... Roger Glover doing synthesizer, bass guitar, percussion, tabla, sitar, acoustic guitar, vibraphone, backing vocals, and production. 
and all the writing. Mm. So kind of a lot, lot going on there. Um, we get into the album art here. We've got a pretty simple album cover. It's pretty much just kind of a monochrome um, red and black here. What do you think about this album cover? Um, it's pretty, pretty basic when you look at it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, you know that it means something. Like when I look at it, it looks like, um, like, I I don't know if you know what it is, but it looks like uh, somebody took like a, a, like a wave crashing up against the rocks and like tinted like the, the water red and black. It looks like, it, you know, it looks like the ocean. That's exactly right. what it looks like to me. It to me it looks like they were trying to make it look like it was lava. Yeah, you know the elements theme, like the fire and the lava. But they're like, yeah, ah, I mean, we don't have enough money in the budget to go to an actual volcano. <laughs> Just take some pictures <laughs> at the beach. Go down to wherever the beach is in England. Take some, take a few shots, and yeah, tinted uh, kind of pinkish, tint it red, and we'll day. call it a day. Uh, it's yeah. very simple. It's not. It doesn't really. It's kind of drab looking almost, but you know, it, it's effective. It's, I would kind of think for based on the feeling of this album that they would have gone for something maybe a little bit more, but yeah, it's kind of nondescript. Yeah, it is what it is. It's not anything to write home about, but it's, it's not the album cover we were forced to look at last week. Mm. Um, the back cover, it's just got, uh, it's got some snippets from the poem that this was all based on. It has all the uh, basically production credits that I just listed with all the personnel. And then it has something on the back, which it gives credits. It says Bruce Payne for managing Mac for the intro Stuart Wicks for the equipment. Everyone was doing kind of cutesy things around this time. Like remember, like on the white snake album, they were talking about everyone's favorite drink or whatever. There was one other album where we talked about that too, where they inserted some other little quotes or gave people like little nick uh, nicknames. Um, it says Francois and Anne for the food, Stefan Kresic for being physically immaculate, Graham Prescott for being spiritually immaculate, Judy and Jillian for just being, Cozy Powell for blowing my trumpet, but they spell Cozy C O S Y, which is odd. Hmm. I mean, it's on the back of the album, so I don't know how that made it through. Like, was Cozy... I mean, Cozy was established at this point. I was thinking, oh, maybe it was like early on, maybe spelled it C-O-S-Y. I don't really... No, because he was already in He was already in Rainbow and right. a bunch of other bands. Before, yeah, he, and like, he was... Yeah, Rain, Rainbow wasn't his, his first... Uh, I'm, uh, I'm looking up. Yeah, I mean, everything... Been a typo. If you If you Google it... It's kind of bad to have a typo of somebody's name on the back of an album, but um, and then it says Ken Randall for the image and Tony Cohen for the graphics. So uh, Tony Cohen did the gra- I mean gra- I don't know I don't know what they mean between the difference between the photo and the graphics. And I guess I just maybe because I didn't under- don't understand how they did graphics in the late seventies, but mm. it seems like it should be. I don't know. I don't know what you. I guess maybe overlaying the words onto the photos and and finishing it. And uh, Ken Randall is the one who took the photo of what we presume is a beach. Tony Cohen. I looked him up. He only has one other credit, and he did the album cover for the Ruddles. So, are you familiar with the Ruddles? 
No, oh, what's it? What's that? Like the Wiggles? It's <laughs> it's a um, <laughs> it's a it's like a parody band of the Beatles from like the late seventies. They did oh, they did oh. a movie with Eric Idle is the Paul McCartney kind of figure and like tons of people all sorts of people are in that movie like I think Bill Murray's in that movie and um, George Harrison plays like a couple of different parts it's, it's just like it's really funny movie with like a lot of the Monty Python guys um, mm-hmm. and they do like they parody like the story of the Beatles and their whole career and parody the music quite well do like their own little parodies of the songs which are made to sound like Beatles songs. It's a great, great movie. It's a good album, and the music is actually quite good, even though they're just mm. kind of having a laugh. But I'm proud to say that I own... Th- this guy only did two album covers, so I own his entire discography. I own the Ruddles soundtrack and this. And then <laughs> the photography is by Ken Randall, who did a who did like only a couple of other albums, including Rick Wakeman's Journey to the Center of the Earth. So... That's pretty much all we got about this album cover. And yeah, that's kind of the the rundown. There's not a ton of information about this album out there at all. I've looked, I've looked around trying to find any sort of things as, you know, a few little quotes like I pulled by by Roger Glover and a few reviews we can get into later, but that's pretty much it. It's it's it was like like Roger said, not a huge commercial success, but uh, definitely something different. Uh, as I'm already finding out on Twitter, not for everybody. <laughs> Isn't that always the case? Yeah. Here we go. We're ready to cut into some of these elements tracks. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what to expect. I've never heard it. You've never heard this? No. Huh? I, I mean, th- I've I've heard of it, but I mean, it's like. You know, it, it's yeah, it's one of those one of those albums that like uh, just kind of like the 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 John Lord solo albums and stuff like that. For some reason, I wasn't I mean, I was interested in collecting all the Deep Purple family stuff, but it's just like a lot of these outlying solo projects. I don't know why. I, maybe it was just like too overwhelming at the time uh, to try and collect everything, you know, so I just didn't do it. Well, that's definitely definitely the case it was it was a lot of stuff back then um it so basically it came out on the connoisseur collection which ended up doing uh, all the sorts of stuff uh, they did um they did the butterfly ball and 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 so many other things but they released and of course i, I left it upstairs but they did a combined album, kind of like the same way they did the White Snake North Winds all on the same CD. Mm, well, they did yeah. this album and Mask all on the same CD, which was a little distracting because the, the Mask is so different from this album, and it was recorded in 84, and it sounds like it. And this was recorded in the 70s, so it's just a very weird combination of combining these two. And I picked up this copy that's basically uh, Elements, the mask all on one CD and they kind of changed the cover around, which looked very odd. And mm. I was just looking it up and there's, it's selling used for like $125. Now I'm Yikes. tempted to sell my copy. Um, but yeah, so that's it. Um, okay. So we're going to cut right into this album here. Let me get up some of these tracks. 
And they're all named after the elements. So the first track is called the first ring. Well, clay, I guess, is not an element. But anyway, it's called the first ring is made of clay. Earth, I guess, right? Yeah, so Earth. Yeah. Here we go. Starts off a little, little opening intro here. Roger playing with his synthesizers. Right off the bat, he's not using guitars, but he's still do writing riffs. This is a riff. Yeah, like you could play this on guitar. But I really, uh, I kind of respect that. You know, the challenge that he gave to himself of not doing that. Yeah. Now they're singing his poem. Wow, that's funny. How, like, I can tell that these are the vocalists from Butterfly Ball. That's how distinctive it is. Yeah. That's pretty cool, though. This album kind of has a Pink Floyd-ish overtone to me. A what? Like a Pink Floyd-ish sort of feel to it. Okay, yeah, I can, I can get that. Yeah. It's also got a very like no. epic nature to it. Now, Roger Glover didn't. He, you said he didn't sing on this, right? He did not. Like he I was think going he to, but then he he changed his mind. Yeah. And then on the mask, he actually does do the singing. So. Okay. Oh, percussion pattern reminds me of Butterfly Ball too. Yeah, we we got a lot of the same people on here. Yeah. So it makes sense. I can kind of tell Roger Glover's writing style because it's like, a, I feel like it's not from the butterfly ball, but it's like, I can tell that he wrote it, you know? Yeah. Like it's like, it'd be like, yeah, I can see this, like not, not being on butterfly ball, but whatever his writing style is like, I can, I can detect it, you know? Nice orchestrations, too. This is by, um, huh, um, sorry, no, that's the wrong one. The Munich Philharmonic. Rings 
I think that's that's what gives it its really kind of um, epic nature or sound or whatever whatever you call that. And yeah, Fritz Sonnel, um Sonneitner was like a bit who did quite a bit of classical recordings. Obviously, did the orchestrations for this and conducted. And they're kind of orchestrations and like synths, keyboards, or really orchestra sound, like no guitars, basically. Yeah, and like you said, it's it's it was a cool challenge. And I think you know a lot a lot of people have things to say about this album. And you know sometimes it's like oh it's not hard rock enough you know which clearly wasn't what he was going for. <laughs> and uh, you've got to respect the integrity of an artist wanting to challenge themselves and try something different, regardless of commercial success. Yeah. But I think later this year he'd be dragged into Rainbow to give them some commercial success, and it worked. <laughs> He's capable of uh, quite a few different things. Well, yeah, I think that's, I mean, if you think about it, that's probably why he was such a good producer, musician, everything is because he didn't put himself in one box. Like, I mean, he did some something like this, which wasn't as successful, but I mean, it's, you know, he, he went on to produce a lot of great albums and be in some really commercial uh, eras of bands and everything. But I, who knows if that really would have happened if he didn't have this kind of like experience, you know, get, get this kind of music out of his system or be capable of writing this kind of stuff. I feel like you got to be really well-rounded to do that. And when I got this for the first time, I don't know that I necessarily realized it was two albums on one. You know, you just did, I didn't pay as close attention as I could have. And yeah, when this when this goes into the next album, you're like, what the hell just happened? <laughs> and to me like this, I was listening to this feeling like, wow, this is. This sounds very butterfly ballish. Right. He goes in. It seemed like the very logical whimsical. next step after the butterfly ball. Whimsical. Yeah, and it's funny. It goes from being very dramatic to this weird little whimsical few bars he throws in there. There's a lot of tension in this song. It feels very like mm -hmm. very tense. It's like watch out for the bat kind of feeling. It just feels you feel uneasy listening to it. Yeah, but in a good way. very long trail off. <laughs> it kind of seamlessly blends, if I'm not mistaken, the those strings blend into synths. It's hard to tell where one ends and one begins. sudden ending of course it will blend into the next track so 
Is that how most of the tracks are on this album? I think they, yeah, I think they mostly kind of run into each other. It's, it's, yeah, it's almost like one continuous piece of music for the 40 minutes Mm. or whatever, how long it is. So, so these might be a little tricky to rate, but. um, I was going to say that it's like, I I don't know. I I don't know how to rate it. (laughs) (laughs) Do we, do we just keep going with the songs or what do you think? Um, Well, I mean, it's not like I'm trying to remember what, what other album do we like? It's not like the concerto or something. I mean, it's definitely like a, like there are defined like songs and stuff like that. So it's like, um, or at least so far it seems that way. It's just, I don't, I don't know how to rate it as in like, it's just the music is so like different. Um, I don't know. Like, like this, this song, it's like, um, I guess I probably give it a lower rating just because not because it's not good, but because it's not really my cup of tea type of thing. Like I, I see where this album is going, you know, it's, right. it's pretty like avant-garde, I guess you could say. Um, So it's not. And I mean, I'm going into it with an open mind too. I mean, I know it's not a rock album and I, I like more stuff than, you know, your typical verse, chorus, solo, bridge, see you later, <laughs> or whatever. But um, I don't know. What do you give it? I give this one a four because I really, I just like the mood that it sets. And I like that dum dum down dum dum down. It's, it's like you said, it makes you feel sort of uneasy. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, it's, it, you know, and, and then when the kind of those vocals come in with, with, um, uh, Liza Strike and Helen Chappelle singing like in, in, in that harmony together, it's, it creates this different mood. It goes in this little whimsical, and then, which almost sounds kind of like that little whimsical part in the concerto, then boom, right in back into that. And I, I don't know, I like, I like the mood it sets. I like the whole mood of this album. It's not an album I've listened to a million times, but I, you know, something I dig out every so often and enjoy listening to. But it's not driving down the highway music either. It's something you got to be in the you've got to be in the mood to listen to this and know what you're listening to. Yeah, this is more driving through, driving through like a a neighborhood school zone type of music. You're just you're just yeah. plugging along, dun 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 dun, dun <laughs> going really slow down like a suburban street, or just driving through like the through the <laughs> through my own psyche or something. <laughs> Um, I'm going to, I'm going to have to give it a, oh, wait, did I, no, not four, three. I'll give it a three. All right. Um, because it's, it's good, but like, um, just like many other songs, it doesn't, doesn't grab me right out of the gate. Yep. Quite yet. Fair enough. But so far, so good. I like what Roger's, you know, laying down so far. Should be interesting. All right. All right, so ready to troop on to the next song here? Mm-hmm. All right, the next one up is The Next, A Ring of Fire. And it picks up right where we left off. And this, I believe, is the longest track on the album. Now you hear that sax, like distant 
um, reverberated sax. And this is where you could have said it could have been the Danny Glover album because it sounds like the, <laughs> the sax from the, what is it, the Lethal Weapon soundtrack. I'm too old for this. <laughs> This has kind of a movie soundtrack feel to it. Yeah, this is definitely like Roger Glover definitely has like a writing style when he's like kind of set free to do his own thing because it's this kind of like minor sounding, you know, almost haunting type of like beat, but it's kind of like disco-ish. Yeah. Oh, yeah, this does kind of have, like, a disco feel to it. But, like, creepy disco. <laughs> creepy disco. <laughs> like, you'd hear this walking through, like, a haunted house. <laughs> <laughs> or running through a haunted house. No, this definitely gives me some kind of, like, disco butterfly ball vibes. Disco butterfly ball, I like it. And they call this a con. A lot of people call this a concept album, but that's great sax playing here. Well, I mean, I guess concept in the in the sense that the songs are all named after elements, so that kind of ties it together. Right. But, it's pretty loose, though. But wouldn't the, wouldn't the concept be like you know? Uh, I don't know the the album but wouldn't it have to be like there would be repeating musical themes throughout all the yeah, different songs and that certainly is present as we'll hear I'm liking this. It reminds me of those kind of like or orchestrated disco, a fifth of Beethoven things that were kind of probably popping up around the same time, right? Yeah, except you can see like, like, like a bunch of zombies in like white leisure suits, <laughs> like doing the, the, the pointy dance, whatever the hell it was <laughs> Zombies. <laughs> Well, it does. It kind of has like kind of a kind of a creepy kind of feeling to it, but it's really cool. Yeah, definitely. I like the energy of this song. I like its pace. I mean, so far now it's gone off in the twilight zone. Really dry 70s snare sound. Nice flange effect on the drums, too. Yeah, a little flange. Now it's almost like Billy Cobham territory. Yeah, I was going to say. 
it's definitely got an interesting pattern to it that you just don't really know what to expect next. Like you keep thinking, oh, it's going to go back to this or it's going to go back to that. And it's, it takes all these weird turns. Yeah, I think that's why albums like this don't, um, I don't usually like them as much because I like kind of a strong a song structure that I can follow. Yeah. Although, I mean, I do appreciate this kind of stuff. It's just not stuff that I, I would repeatedly listen to, I think. Bakers are coming in strong on the left channel. We've got on this strong percussion stuff going on. Mm. At the very least, Simon Phillips obviously pulling most of it. Mickey Lee Soul also doing percussion and Glover as well. By the three of them just going to town on all sorts of tambourines and shakers, tabla. I wonder why I didn't have the guy pretty from, happy. um, what's his name? Back to do the tabla. The guy from Butterfly Ball was playing with, uh, why the hell can't I think of his name? Arthur. <laughs> <laughs> what's Arthur's name? I don't know. The guy who played <laughs> Arthur in the movie. Oh, Dudley, Dudley Moore. Dudley Moore's uh, trio. Oh, like you get old sausage fingers in there to do some snaps. I know, like, right? If only they had some snaps on this album. So you could so easily see them go to a guitar solo here, but they just kind of use this distorted saxophone in place. Yeah, very cool. No, this is the violin, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. They didn't know sax. It you can't make sa a sax sound like that. It was the sax earlier, I think. Or maybe I was just not paying attention. Oh, yeah. That's that's the violin. I don't, you, Can you bend a note on a sax? <laughs> uh, what I don't know about the sax is incredible. <laughs> My guess is it would be hard to bend. To bend a note on the sax. That's yeah, probably maybe something you can do with the reed. Oh. My claim to fame is that I made a saxophone so make a noise once. <laughs> <laughs> it was a terrible, terrible noise, but it's so hard if you if you don't if you don't not used to playing like woodwind instruments, like how to get that reed to make noise. I have no idea how anyone mm. can play woodwind instruments. lot of if you're not listening to this in headphones a lot of very interesting panning going on 
Do you get the stereo mix pretty good on your end? I don't know if I get it as good as you do. Maybe you just maybe you're just getting a mono mix on your end. Because when you're talking about panning or like something's coming in really hard on the left, I'm like, I don't really hear it as <laughs> you, much. You're getting the mono mix. Sorry. I'm just like. <laughs> That's the ring of fire right there. Well, I'll tell you so far, anybody that bought this album and they're just like, oh, I Roger Glover from Deep Purple. I can't wait to hear more of like songs like Highway Star and Space Trucking. This is going to be great. <laughs> oh, sorely, <laughs> sorely disappointed. Those people were probably. Most likely. <laughs> um, the yeah, next I, Ring of Fire. I thought it was um, I thought it was good. You know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna give it a four because I I appreciate its complexity and I liked the heavier parts in it. Like it actually grabbed me from the beginning. I liked it. Yeah, and it's cool because it goes into that like kind of lengthy percussion bit, but it which could I like that it could definitely have that could have the possibility of getting old, but they kept it very interesting. I think. Yeah, drum well, solo on an album too is pretty cool. You don't hear that all. No, <laughs> not at all. Uh, yeah, I also give it a four. I think it's really good. And like I said, this it's hard to rank this in the same space that you rank like a, I don't know, machine head or something. But because it's you, I think you you you, you have to be in that special kind of mindset to, to listen to this. Yeah. All right. Exactly. Next up, the third. So that would that would have closed out the first side of the album. Then we would have Whoa. started the <laughs> second side with this, which is the third ring's watery flow. That sounds really kind of dirty. <laughs> or I just made it. I just made it dirty. I think it does. I just don't know why. Let's just leave it at that. <laughs> This, this, to me, sounds like a mellow, e early Ian Gillen man song. Yeah, I feel like this is like the ballad. Really nice bass play in there. And like you mentioned earlier, too, it's got like you were talking about the 70s drum sound and everything. It's very... 70s production uh, but it's not that obvious because there's like so much kind of different music uh, musical instruments going on that you don't hear all at once on an album that you don't really readily identify it you know and that's what makes it when you're listening to white snake and north winds on the same cd like they just blend seamlessly into each other yeah listening to this and mask on the same cd was so jarring and the mask has a lot of those 80s production elements that I do not like and I never have, but I have yeah. grown to appreciate that portion of it a lot more. Well, you know, sometimes these people probably just like throw these album, you know, uh, double album things together just to make some money. I mean, uh, whoever did the Coverdale uh, White Snake Northwinds thing, they got it right because those two albums are like companions to each other. Right. It was. You're getting two albums for the price of one. It was pretty, it was a good deal. 
But from like a purist standpoint, it kind of bothers me. I just want them to be separated. Mm-hmm. I like kind of definitely some some of the same synth patches he used there in Butterfly Ball. But I like how he tried to capture the feel of the element, you know, the, the, the fire, the like intensity of the fire. This is the kind of the tranquility of the water and much more calm, laid back. I mean, Roger credits himself with doing a lot of the synth work, which is more techni technical than I'd expect from him on a synth. Mm -hmm. This is the flute. Ronnie Asprey playing the flute. And then Mickey Lee Soul doesn't get any synth credit, so obviously he's more technically proficient on the keys than Roger Glover is, but some parts I feel like in this part not that everything has to have vocals but it makes you think like what would this be with with some vocals over it mm. or at least parts of it has that 70s I don't even know what to describe how to describe it oh man just a 70s feel production whatever now it sounds like the tide the tides are turning pardon the pun You've got some of those echoey, bubbly sounding things in the background. Like maybe we've gone underwater now. how YouTube is going to feel about this episode. Probably, <laughs> probably ban it. We could be we could be moving some copies of Elements. I'm sure that's not burning up the charts these days. <laughs> well, from what you've told me is, is that it usually. YouTube usually likes to ban like the 
the lesser known albums. It's always the more obscure stuff. The stuff that could probably benefit from getting a little more exposure and people talking it up. Like, I can't tell you how many people are like, oh, wow, I, I discovered the butterfly ball thanks to you guys. I'd always heard of it. Now I went up and got a copy. <clears throat> now it's kind of sounding a little more like R2-D2. definitely some moody sort of stuff this is kind of where I talk about the where how it sounds like Pink Floyd not well that doesn't sound so much like Pink Floyd but it's more their style of these kind of long drawn out multiple minute sex segments like this I think that's our oh, first, got a guitar first time hearing guitar I think I mean, I can picture this being a really like, you know, you put this on and just chill out. You know, you're having a few drinks, you know, take, <laughs> taking a few rips off the bomb. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure. And this, then you just lay back, you know, uh, turn on that black light and. Uh, I'm sure this is one of the first times this album has been listened to by multiple people where no one is stoned. <laughs> Well, I mean, I don't want to speak for you. I just assume you aren't stoned. What now? <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> I'm so baked, man. <laughs> <laughs> but I could. But I mean, I could picture this being one of those albums that somebody would get <laughs> get baked to. Oh, for sure. I don't think they'd seek it out like the same way you'd be like, let's. Hey, let's get a copy of the wall and get baked. I think somebody would just be listening to this and then halfway through decide like, hey, we should be getting baked right <laughs> yeah. now. It would. I think this would be the song that did it too. like a couple minutes in there. But like, yeah. Hey, does anybody have any weed? <laughs> what, what are we doing? We're Call doing up grandma. She's got medicinal stuff. <laughs> We're doing ourselves a disservice. Hmm. Like hey, but you don't need you don't need that for it to be good. I'm just saying that that's the that's the vibe that it gives off. When the lion roars for the third time, start up elements. <laughs> Ooh, a little just major to minor sort of thing there. Wow. Leaving us on a... So we're essentially three quarters of the way through the album because the finale is pretty short. Wow. But that was The Third Ring's Watery Flow. Hmm. Um, you know, it had some good parts in it. Um, I mean, that held my attention. So I give it a three, three and a half. Three and a half? Yeah. Yeah. I give a... Hmm. You know what? I, I was thinking maybe more towards a three, but I think you've you've convinced me. I'm going to go with a three and a half, too. I think it it sets a an interesting mood for what it's trying to accomplish. Mm-hmm. And again, we're getting the, the senses of the different elements and how Roger is imagining them. 
leaving us with only one more, and that is The Fourth Rings with the Wind. Wow, now, nice. we heard about the sitar. I can only imagine this must be the sitar. Which, who knew Roger Glover could play the sitar? I didn't. And you have these kind of things in the background that almost sound like wind chimes. So there's a lot of different ways you directions you could go with the wind but i really like the mood that this conjures it could be more of like a wind like a tornado or a hurricane kind of powerful sort of thing but he's going with like a that gentle calmness of the wind Some harmonics on the acoustic I mean, you've only got to assume this wasn't being looped. Oh, I mean, God, back then? I mean, you could still do tape loops back then, but... I don't know. I feel like he was probably playing it. I've never played a sitar, so I don't know um, how easy it is to keep up this this rhythm. You hear the vocals in the background there. Those vocals sound almost like when you program a vocal into a keyboard and then play it with the keyboards. Mm-hmm. They didn't have that back then, did they? I'm sure there's something they could have done that would have approximated that. It wouldn't be as simple as it is these days, but... I don't know. I kind of feel like, you know, Ro Ro Roger Glover would have done this stuff, like, more organically. Just because of how, you know, talented he was and, you know, the technology. Like, I don't know. I can't I can't see him like back then, like, you know, using that kind of technology. I can see it being one of those things like, oh, like if you asked him about it now, he'd be like, well, back in my day to achieve that effect, we had to do it all manually. <laughs> we, we had to go doop, doo, 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 into the uh, microphone. They probably did. I'm just impressed with how long he's been keeping up this little repetition on the sitar. <laughs> it would be, I don't think it happens, but it would be interesting if the, the wind 
came in and changed a little bit or we got more aggressive towards the end. <laughs> Turned into like a tornado. <laughs> you see it sound like somebody knocked the drum kit over. It just speeds up the sitar riff until it totally falls apart. I'm just thinking of things more like ridiculous. Like, you know, you hear like a keyboard hit the floor and then somebody go, ow, my toe. <laughs> I think in literal, ridiculous terms. That is very literal. <laughs> no, but actually, all seriousness, that would be interesting. But I feel like he's setting that mood of like. Like this pace is probably what it's going to stay. Oh, yeah, for sure. It's funny that those orchestrations sound so like they would be in place with the Butterfly Ball, even though it has nothing in common with the Butterfly Ball other than Roger Glover. But I can't imagine Roger Glover scoring out all those orchestrations either. But maybe he is. Maybe I'm underestimating one of my musical heroes. One of the ads that, or one of the reviews, I'm sorry, that we can go through after this, they they drew a comparison to the album Tubular Bells, which I don't know if you're familiar with by Mike Oldfield. Yeah, the one that um, the one that the um, the theme to The Exorcist was um, it was made famous. Oh, is it? I'm not sure. I just know the album yeah, from but, our friend Paul's father had it and would play it. But it was a no 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 like that. That yeah. because I kind of hear that here a little bit. That's yeah, like I'm, rhythmic. I hear the tubular bells thing now, but when he drew the comparison in the review, I was kind of puzzled. I admittedly am not a huge like expert on tubular bells by any means. I've only heard it a few times. I mean, I think there was a portion of it which was made famous by being the theme to The Exorcist. Makes sense. If it's the same one. So I'm not wrong. So so that track ends with the wind. Kind of we hear the wind howling and blowing at the very end. The fourth ring with the wind. I really like that one. I like how he basically had that that melody line from the sitar and like basically built the whole song around it. Mm -hmm. Like different things coming in and out and it's just that one kind of repeating. But it was it was pretty cool. Um four. Four for me. Hmm. Yeah. I liked it. I'm gonna give it a three point five. I also really like it. I like the mood that it sets. I like that the you know to, to think that you'd have a sitar going for six and a half minutes doing bow, 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 bow. on the surface. If I heard that, I'd be like, oh, no, I don't want to hear this. <laughs> but I think it like like I said, this this album sets a mood. It's very atmospheric. It just kind of takes you through these different acts. Uh, very 
methodically and it's it's mm. not super rigid or structured it just goes through all these different parts and i always have enjoyed that so all right that brings us to only one left the shortest song of the album only a couple minutes and that's the grand finale here as we talked about themes here here they are coming back Uh, so like the reprise I think the key's jumping around a little bit more now than it was earlier if I'm not mistaken which I never noticed before and this one I think Martin Birch gets writing credits on this song hmm I'm not mistaken. Yeah, the last two songs, Birch gets writing credits. On a, on a more hopeful note, more hopeful sort of major sounding note, record. That's it. That's the finale. Hmm. It's funny. It's longer than a lot of the albums we've discussed, but it seems like it goes by quicker. <laughs> Yeah, it really did. It really did go by quick, I feel. I, mean, I think the Elf album was like we talked about last week. or No, I think... I don't know how long the Elf album was, but I know like the Captain Beyond, the Sufficiently Breathless, was like 32 minutes. But it's got mm. multiple songs, and this one just seems like, like it's over in a flash. Yeah. But I like how that one ended and just... It brings it brings in the theme from the beginning. I like you just get those vocals in the very beginning of the album. You get them at the end and they're sandwiched between all this kind of atmospheric things. It reminds me of my favorite Pink Floyd album is Animals, which follows a similar format, which is kind of it opens with this. It opens with a short little song that has three immensely long songs and then it ends with the kind of reprise and mm. In the midst of all those songs are lots of very long, like atmospheric sort of sounding stuff, long instrumental solos. But, you know, it just kind of goes all over the place. It's got a similar structure to that album and the same number of songs. And you, I remember we were playing that like we must have been in. 
like 11th, 10th or 11th grade. And I think I was playing that CD out in our garage. We maybe we were like hanging out in the pool or whatever. And you had told me about the the Pink Floyd uh, in the song Sheep. They, they, they put up this Bible verses, but it's said like with this like weird synthesizer effect over it. So you can barely understand yeah. it. And yeah. I remember you like, we were like swimming one day and you're like, ah, he's quoting from the Bible or whatever. And I'm like, what? It's just a synthesizer <laughs> playing something. And you pointed out that it was that. And I, I had never heard it before, despite hearing it a hundred times. And now every time I hear that, I, I always think of you pointing that out to me, which is weird because you were never really a Pink Floyd fan. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> I remember, oh, I don't remember that particular, you know, instance, but I do know that I knew that somehow. Yeah. I don't know um, how you knew it, but. And it was creepy too, because they also kind of like, um, they changed it around. It wasn't really the, I think it was the, the Lord is my shepherd. Yeah. Yep. Uh, thing, but they kind of like messed around with the words a little bit and it, you know, and because of the way the synthesizer sounded, it sounded pretty creepy. Yeah. Um, and there's also this in the song dogs, there's like this barking sort of, and they kind of do the same thing where it's got this synthesized effect over it. And my, Mm -hmm. my dad, I got my, interestingly enough, I got him really into that album and he's listening to it one day. My, my mom came home and my dad didn't know she was home and he's just listening to the album and he's going, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> my mom was watching him for a couple minutes before she said anything it's great <laughs> that's awesome <laughs> all right so anyway what do you think of the finale um i mean kind of hard to oh wait a minute do we oh no there it is i'm looking for it in the the sheet um I mean, it's pretty much the same song as before, but I actually I kind of liked it because I don't know if the drums were doing something different, but I feel like the drums were kind of going a little wild, and I mm-hmm. like that. Um, so I give it like a like a three and a half, you know, because that was probably one of my more, you know, favorite songs. Or I like the like the melody. Yeah, I'll give it a three and a half too. I think it's a great way to close it out and. Mm. Um, it's interesting though that Birch gets writing credits for that, but not for the first track when it's like, I can't, I'm having a hard time figuring out what's different about that. Maybe he contributed some different lyrics because I didn't really pay attention to the lyrics that closely. Or maybe it was the fact that it key changed up a little bit, but I, I'm struggling mm. to find out why, why Birch has credits on that one and not the first song. Mm. Anyway. Roger Glover Elements. So how does this album stack up against the competition? Elements. It's like blowing into the mic. It's me blowing into the mic. Wind. Don't, don't set your house on fire. Um, so let me see. Elements, I uh, guess a yeah, combined uh combined rating of three uh three seven point three oh from the two of us. Uh you Oh, you liked it slightly better than I did. Our variance was only like 0.10 off from each other. So I feel like we kind of like it about the same. Yeah. Um, And um, yeah, it kind of uh, sits in the same ratings as like um, Malice in Wonderland. Um, Play Me Out, uh, unusually enough. 
I kind Blackmore's of I kind of boosted that one a little though. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, you did by quite a, quite a larger margin. Yeah, that was one of our but, bigger variants. Our second biggest variance ever was on "Play Me Out." But I would say like um, like element like elements and like uh, maybe like Malice and Wonderland. I could see those being similarly, you know, because they were kind of. Although that was more song based, you know, I don't know if there's anything else like um, Cher Kazoo. It's not kind of fair to rate it against that. Mm-hmm. Um, Fireball, oddly enough. Wow. And it was it was almost the same variance between the two of us. So. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, you know, the that and this that album and this one are like night and day. So yeah, it's it's, like, it's hard to rank this along the same lines as Fireball because yeah. it's just they're 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 trying to achieve different things. Mm-hmm. And like you said, but, if somebody in 1978 walked into a record store, like yeah, Roger Glover Elements this is gonna be a nice heavy hard rock mm-hmm. album. <laughs> they're gonna be pretty pissed when they get home and find out there's, there's a guitar in it for about. 30 seconds it's acoustic playing <laughs> playing harmonics boom, boom, boom. <laughs> <laughs> but uh overall i think really really interesting yeah um i you know i i don't um like it, it's one of those that we've talked about like i wouldn't you know blasted you know driving down the street uh maybe maybe put it on if i was like trying to chill out like put on the put on the lights back here and uh you know, set some kind of like psychedelic mood or some kind of like, you know, some kind of different mood, but not, um, not one of those you'd put on every day. No. All right. But yeah, it's uh, good stuff. I, um, yeah, I think it's really cool. I think it's one of, for for good or for bad, I know some people are going to be listening to this being like, are you crazy? There's no guitars. It sucks. Um, but for, for, for good or for bad, whichever way you feel about this album, it's one of the more interesting things in the extended family, in my opinion. And mm. one of the more interesting things Roger Glover's done. It's really showed his his depth and his his ability to do different things. Not just, mm. you know, he, he can write great, Pop songs. He can write great hard rock songs. He can apparently write a almost a musical in the way that he wrote Butterfly Ball. And he can do something like this, which is almost like, like I said, almost like Pink Floyd. Yeah. I mean, uh, like I was saying before, I think all the different sides to him, um, you know, contribute to what a, you know, a well-rounded producer uh, he is and some of the you know kind of com- more commercial stuff you know he did I think that helped make it more successful because you know you go off and do something like this and then you're like you know maybe you're like okay now I just I just want to make a pop album right or you can you know I mean if you're talented enough to do this then doing a doing a pop album um, you know just kind of knowing that knowing that formula knowing like uh, you know what I mean? I feel like people think that pop albums are like easy too, but I mean to like tap into that formula and like you know to to get like a like a melody, a rhythm, like a, you know some kind of hook that you know will resonate with people is like you know it's yeah. it's not easy. Yeah, there's not a lot of people that can do it all, and he is one of the ones that can and and shows it mm-hmm. by by coming up with some 
really cool stuff. And and it's it's if you did get that $125 now CD that I have and have the mask, boom, right after this pops into the mask, which I've I've before on the show said is kind of like Roger Glover. Imagine if Roger Glover was impersonating Duran Duran. It's it's such a a stark like, whoa, all of a sudden you go from 1978 kind of moody Pink Floyd feeling to poppy, the most early 80s poppy sort of stuff you can imagine. It's quite a it shows his range, which is great. That is it. That is Elements. So this album came out, and as like I said, not a huge commercial success. We do have some uh, various reviews, courtesy of Mr. Jorg Planer. And the first one here is from Sounds. This is from August of 1978. August 8th, my mother's birthday. And it's entitled A Long-Winded Labor of Love by Jeff Barton, who I call him Jeff Three Stars Barton because he only ever seems to give three stars to any Deep Purple-related <laughs> stuff. Came up on Facebook today. Somebody else posted a something else Jeff Barton had written about. I forgot what it was on Facebook, and I, I commented that he's Jeff Three Stars Barton. But there's a picture <laughs> of Roger Glover playing my dream bass, the Rickenbacker 4003 with the offset pickups like on the diagonal there which i would kill for and he says a few things he says uh basically in the review he says if you asked which of the five members of deep purple mark ii which is funny to me because in 1978 they were calling it mark ii which i i didn't know they had the the mark designations back that long ago mm. so that's interesting but if you ask which of them five members of deep purple mark ii you'd reckon had the most success since the split You'd probably say Richie Blackmore and you'd be right. But who would you place after Rainbow's Man in Black? Uh, and he says he would Roger Glover. He would support Roger Glover because of what he's done in production. He calls the album Labor of Love. No doubt about it, but sadly not a resounding success. He says it's superior to some of John Lord's similar work, i.e. Saraband. Uh, but he says overall it lacks cohesion and direction. He says it's commendable, proficient, all-round effort, but no tubular bells or anything. Mm. Then he goes through some of the different songs that we've already talked about. He says, i got to figure out a way I can read this. I have to probably zoom in here. He says, the first ring made of clay kicks off the proceedings in eventful fashion. However, distant tangs-like dronings lead quickly into full-blown orchestrations. He said that like it's a bad thing. Altogether stirring stuff from here on in, matters steadily slide downhill. I'm afraid next a ring of fire, which concludes side one, plods rather than being neither grandiose nor as strong hook-wise as its predecessor. I'd agree with that. Similarly, the third ring's watery flow... And the fourth rings with the wind. The two tracks that take up most of side two contain very little to make you sit up and take notice. The former is reminis reminiscent of Bo Hansen, which is no good thing. And the latter's recurring Indian sitar percussive central theme goes on and on ad infinitum with very few changes apart from some vocal instrumental embellishments. On the plus side is Simon Phillips' superlative work on drums. Indeed, his playing goes a long way towards earning the album its three-star status, 
Also, Glover's fondness of deep, bassy sounds, which gives the LP a lot of backbone. It's a commendable, proficient all-around effort, but no tubular bells or anything. I think he hits on some... I don't necessarily agree with him on anything, but he hits with some good observations about the songs. Mm-hmm. I mean, like the Indian sitar thing, it does go on ad infinitum, and I will 100% understand anyone who thinks that that was way too much, but we kind of enjoyed it and thought thought it worked you know i've been i've been critical of things like the mule in the past for having a boom bam and having something like that that just kind of repeats over and over and over but i think they did enough things in here to make it interesting then we have what else do we have here this is just a little uh I'll add for it, Roger Glover, former bass player with Deep Purple, has a debut album, which is weird because it's not his debut album, but Elements featuring Simon Phillips, Mickey Lee Soul, Graham Prescott, Ronnie Asprey, and Martin Birch. And just kind of it it uh lists part of the poem and has a little cool picture of Roger Glover wearing a golf hat. Which a, a picture of Roger Glover pretty much looking like he has looked since then. Yeah, exactly. Like that's how he looked in 1984 with the wearing the that the the golf or the cabbie hat or whatever. The hat just the hat changes. That's pretty much it. He's got the same kind of yeah. look and the the beard, but <laughs> he'll you know he goes from that. He wear the he wore the fedora and the kind of his Miami Vice rainbow era, and then <laughs> yeah. switched over to a various different hats. Right now he's kind of with the. The bandana is his newest, his, his latest thing. Um, then there's something in German. And this is a German review from Pop. Uh, Jorg sent me this, of course. And he said the basic, I said, what's the rough gist of what this review says? He says, they said that this is a milestone of classic rock in the meaning of symphonic rock that has nothing to do with his former work in Deep Purple. Hmm. So, which is true. So they gave it a nice, there doesn't appear to be any sort of rating on it, but uh, sounds, sounds positive. Um, yeah. And that's kind of, it's, there's, it's hard to find too much crazy press about it. Cause he didn't have, I don't think a lot of backup from the label on promoting this one. Mm, I'm sure. Yeah. That's it. That is elements. Um, in the news, actually, I probably should have brought this up at the top of the show, but as I mentioned in our last episode, Nick from Pot of Thunder sent us a little teaser of this amazing deep purple in-store display kit that he had. And uh, he said he would send us over some better photos, which he made good on. And first of all, he shows a picture of this mailing tube on his carpet which is so much cleaner than any of my carpets so i commend him for that um even if i've just vacuumed my carpet we'll probably have lego pieces and little bits of food my kids have dropped in it so good for, good for you nick um so you got this great uh mailing thing um and then there's four of the five members here so this is a picture so there's kind of these monochromatic that's nice pictures yeah beautiful and in great condition they're in beautiful condition uh, picture of Ian Gillen there. Uh, there's a picture of Ian Pace. <laughs> and it's weird. It's it's kind of like a polka dot and then monochrome sort of pictures of them. So Ian Gillen is kind of a pur- pinkish color. 
Ian Pace may be more of an orangey color. Um, it's almost going across the spectrum. It's like Richie Blackmore looking like the cover of Radiohead's The Bends. Um, and a deeper orange color. And then the green color, Roger Glover. And sadly, he does not have the... Uh, he said he said John Lord must have got lost somewhere. Oh man. But um that sucks. They are absolutely beautiful pictures. Um what a find to to be able to have this sort yeah. of uh, piece of history here. Um uh I did reach out to Jorg about this cuz I was like, "Hey, like have you ever seen these?" He wasn't even really familiar with them. But he did send me a uh, a link to a similar thing, which ended up being it's not exactly the same, but he has it uh, a link to a eBay.ca auction for this, and what it's billed as is being Fireball promo poster set. So this was posters that were sent to record stores to promote Fireball, and these are signed. It says they're signed, but I don't know if I don't know if they're signed on the actual photos or this one that he sent me only can well it contains Gillen, Lord, Blackmore. I guess it contains all of them. It's the same photos, but the colors are a little different. Um so the picture of Lord. Let me see if I can get a screen cap real quick, a picture of Lord here. And uh get that to you here. But the John, but these pictures are a little bit less stylized. Mm-hmm. Um, here's the John Lord one from this eBay auction. So they're a little bit more like actual mm. photos, and I don't. Yeah. They say it's signed, but I don't know if it's signed like a, a, a reprint or if it's actually signed. Yeah, it's hard to tell. But this this is going for eight hundred dollars Canadian. Um, yeah, it definitely looks like it's from the same set. Yeah, photos. but it's like, but it doesn't have that same look to it. Right. Um. But yeah, this is quite something to have. I. Uh, he said he Nick said he got it from a family member. Well, he <laughs> he doesn't know that the family member knows he has it. I guess their wife gave it to him. But yeah, this says. A Deep Purple Fireball promo set, 1971, signed by artists. I have a client who was a roadie in his youth, collected an incredible collection of music memorabilia through the years, and has asked me to help him sell some of it. He took amazing care of his collection with items very rare. Save me as a seller, blah, blah, blah. So, pretty impressive stuff. I gotta say, I would be super excited to have something that cool. Because mm. it's, it's one of those things, it's... I'm, something I had never seen before this. And even Jorg was kind of like, hmm. I, he's like, I think I've seen something like that before, but I can't remember. So if it's like sort of unusual to Jorg, you know, this is some really rare stuff we're dealing with. Really cool stuff. Yeah. Um, in the news this week, we also have... What do we have? So this got posted to... Deep Purple's official Instagram site all of a sudden woke up just like their Twitter did after many years and just posted this picture. Which is an astronaut photo that looks like it's the cover of the Woosh album. 
It's got Deep Purple written in the astronaut's mask in reverse, like he's looking at the album cover. No explanation. <laughs> Just kind of posted this. And then the follow-up is that they posted this. What they posted was really weird, and I got a ton. I posted this actually this morning. I'll probably have to scroll down for 20 minutes to find it, but they basically posted on this Instagram post. I can find it here. They posted. Oh yeah. You know what? Let me save this so you can actually see it. Not a, not very well prepared today. Here we go. All right. So this is the Instagram post here and all the hashtags are what kind of messed me up. So these are all hashtags, new album spelled wrong. Whoosh. Ian Gillen, Roger Glover, David Coverdale, Steve Morse, Don Airy, Old Music, Deep Purple Classic, Ian Pace, Richie Blackmore, Rod Evans, Glenn Hughes, Rock Music, Rock and Roll, Music, Live Music, Deep Purple Classic, Concert, Deep Purple Live, Rock. Who posted this? The official Deep Purple Instagram. Somebody left. Did somebody hack it? <laughs> they, they they did deep purple classic hashtag twice. Oh God, I didn't even notice that. Yeah, a new album they spelled wrong, and then they put in a bunch of people that aren't in the band anymore. Yeah, and that, to me, that was one of the biggest shocks. Was yeah, and we talked about this in our in our Hall of Fame episode. It was how it was a little jarring, but very nice to hear Ian Gillen recognize all the members past and present of the band. Oh, and they left out Nicky Semper. Yeah, they left out Nick Semper. They left out John Lord. They left out Tommy oh, Bolin. They left geez. out Joe Satriani, which, you know, they left out Joe, uh, Joe Lynn Turner. It's weird. And I, I think that's, ever, I think I covered everyone. But that's very unusual, right? That, that the current, I don't know, management or whatever, of the band would would call back like Coverdale and Glenn Hughes. Right. And so I got I posted just this with kind of my I, I didn't really have any theories. I was just kind of like, what is up with this? And got, you know, quite a few comments. And um one of the somebody mentioned just kind of like, well, wouldn't it be interesting if <laughs> These are all the people who are going to be on the new album. And I was like, that had never occurred. I don't think that that's going to happen. Let me just put that out there. But wouldn't that be incredible if they brought everyone back for oh, almost everyone <laughs> back? Well, then we'd, we'd know what happened to Rod Evans. But that's the thing. Like, they didn't mention <laughs> Nick Simper, who's a, who's been around. I mean, there's, there's recent pictures of him with Roger Glover and Glenn Hughes. And he's he's around but they mentioned Rod Evans. So like we know that there's not a lot of great blood between Rod Evans and the Deep Purple camp based on, you know, what happened during the, the new Deep Purple. Mm -hmm. So why would they mention Rod Evans? And why was he mentioned at the Hall of Fame? You know, he's someone who, you know, should have had all of his royalties stripped away and all this sort of stuff. They don't mention Nick Simper. So like, what are they getting at with this? Like, it's just so puzzling to me. Why would they not? Why would you include David Coverdale and Glenn Hughes, but not John Lord? Yeah, it's really weird. I think 
And I think someone mm. had the only like the only legitimate thing was just like, well, maybe they're going to make guest appearances on the album because this is their final album. And of course, John Lord and Tommy Bolin won't be. <laughs> but for True. obvious reasons, but I mean, again, I don't think there's a chance of that happening, but it's just so it's so odd that they would go with all of this, all of these hashtags. I mean, the, there's dumb hashtags like old music, like who cares? But the fact that they singled out all of these particular past members of the band is very odd. And and I, of course, I think I I think I posted on on Twitter, but I think there's probably a better chance of of John Lord making a guest appearance on this album than there is of Richie Blackmore. Uh, or I might have made that same yeah. joke about Rod Evans. I don't know, but either way, I don't think it's happening. But I yeah. would be yeah, this is really so odd. happy if that happened, even though I don't think it's going to happen. Anyway, that's uh, that's kind of the latest. Well, it won't be the latest by the time you listen to this episode. But as of now, it's that was from I think this a couple of days ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So where else are we? Um, yeah. So, uh, so, so what I talked about earlier, that whoosh picture, uh, the actual picture with the hashtags, a Yorg apparently nailed it right away. He was like, maybe they're doing this because they're going to release the song whoosh as a single. And of course it came out today that they are on April 18th on German record store day. They're going to be releasing this as a, as a, uh, a single you can purchase. So I think nice. it'll be the song Whoosh. So that's kind of interesting. I don't know if it'll be made available in any other formats, but if so, we'll see. And then, yeah, with that, that's kind of all that's really in the news, which leaves us only with this week in Purple History. This week, the uh, week this episode comes out will be March 30th through April 5th. And that means on April 3rd, and fifth, both those days in 1975, the Deep Purple Band was performing for what would eventually be released as Made in Europe. So those two dates were what you used on this album. And uh, widely, widely regarded, I think, as Deep Purple's, one of Deep Purple's greatest live albums of the 40,000 of them that are out there. Um, so an, an obvious, it's one of my favorites. I love it. Of course we love it's it, but one of my favorites. And, uh, and of course I have Steve Seaborg's amazing, uh, made in Europe journal that he made me with the actual, the actual vinyl mm -hmm. right there. Um, but this was, this album was made basically because they were like, well, Richie's leaving. We better get some live performances so we can milk this for all it's worth and sell at least one more album. And of course they did end up continuing on after that, albeit briefly. Um, Cause less than a year after this album was less than a year after this was performed, the band would have broken up, which is amazing to think of how short that Tommy Bolin face was. Yeah. Um, next up, very sad news. April 5th, 1998, Cozy Powell died in a tragic car accident. Great loss. Terrible that it had to happen so suddenly and so terribly. And amazing to think of what he would have been involved with if had he stuck around. And then on April 4th, 2014, the concert, concert celebrating John Lord at the 
Royal Albert Hall with Rick Wakeman and Glenn Hughes and Bruce Dickinson and um, all that. It was just an incredible performance. Deep Purple obviously performing. Um, you know, they, they celebrate his... They celebrate his his compositions. They celebrate his kind of some of his greatest hits with performances by all these great uh, performers. And then they have a kind of deep purple only celebration with guest vocalists. So really, really cool stuff. Have you have you seen this before? No. Oh, you haven't? Oh, I don't think I have. No. Yeah, I don't think I've seen every single bit of it. There's a few parts of it that I've seen, including like, of course, you know, I I immediately gravitated towards this time around. Glenn Hughes does a kind of a tribute to him, and it's really had me had me a little uh, misty eyed seeing uh, Glenn Hughes be completely over the top Glenn Hughes, but also celebrating the the death of his former band or it's not celebrating celebrating the life of his former bandmate and his and this the one song that they really wrote together just the two of them and hearing him mm-hmm. sing that was really um moving i mean it's it's i can't wait to cover this someday because it's it's such an incredible performance um completely glenn hughes just like going a, out of like i could see how a lot of people would be like glenn hughes tone it down what's going on but to me it was just very emotional to hear him like like just giving everything he could into his voice to 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 sing that song and celebrate his his dear friend is pretty special mm-hmm. but yeah that's all i got that's all i got for this week for this week in purple history i'll have some links to the show notes for some of the resources you can look at if you want to check out some more stuff about elements with that i think we're making a wrap on this latest episode of the deep purple podcast well yes we'll be back at you next yes yes that's all i can do is agree <laughs> and we'll be back at you next week with I, I will have to say a pretty monumental episode. Our 50th episode. We're going to do something very special for that 50th episode. I know that some of you wow. who are going to have an idea what that's going to be, you're probably wrong. Sorry. <laughs> Certain people have been asking for the same, you know, thinking we're going to bust into the next thing, but it just never seems to happen. But the, but it's going to be something very special and in, very important landmark moment in the deep purple um, history. So, so you'll have to stay tuned for that one. And with that, I will talk to you later next week, my friend, where we'll dive into that new topic. Oh yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right. right. Talk to you next week. Good night. Okay. Thank you for listening to the deep purple podcast. If you like what you hear and would like more episodes in the future, please donate on Patreon to support the show. You can also give us a rating on iTunes to help new people discover the show. You can follow us on YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook for show updates. See deeppurplepodcast.com for more details. Thank you for listening.
Wait a minute, what did, what did you say? I said party in the front, business in the back. <laughs> what the fuck does that look like? It's bad. 